Welcome to another episode of Life in Commune. I'm Patrick. And I'm Carling. And this episode is all about our new topic of the month in CommuneYogaStudio.com, the official sponsor of this podcast, now and for always. Practice with us online if you aren't already. It's time for spring cleaning. That is the theme for April. So let's chat about that a little bit. What comes to mind when you think about spring cleaning? Of course, cleaning your house, getting rid of some things. I'm doing that myself. Maybe you are too. Uh, cleaning up some things in your practice, cleaning up some space for your practice. Like This is, can move in so many different directions, and uh, we'll obviously discuss them throughout the course of the month, but initial thoughts. Well, I think, first of all, this month the theme is so different than what we did last month. Exactly. Last month we were, you know, we were in a big ecosystem of mobility, but also that is a much more uh, specific topic and that we can actually talk about deliverables, like to use tech lingo. We can talk about deliverables with mobility. We can talk about protocols and specifics and things that are, you know, quite literally goal oriented. When it comes to spring cleaning and a theme like this month, it's so much more open-ended and it really is uh, a journey of exploration and a journey of everyone's different interpretation of what that might mean to them. So when we were coming up for our topics, we were going through our brainstorm and planning out the year, we landed on spring cleaning, one, because it's quite literally spring, so seasonally, yes. And In the Pacific Northwest, we get very excited about spring, I can't lie to you. Like for whatever very reason, important. March is so secretly sunny. Like the weather forecast every day in Seattle could say cloudy, but in March, I swear 70 to 80% of the time, it is actually sunny. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, April and May come and hopefully it stays sunny, but to be honest, the rain's going to come. Sometimes we get that backpedal. Yeah, we, we definitely get that step back. But even this month, it's like, it might be rainy, it might be still cold, yeah. but the sun is out. And for those of you who live in a place that's significantly warmer than where we live and sunny, you might not realize how much you need it after February in Seattle. February in Seattle is, I want to be kind because I love it here and it's my home, but it's terrible. It's, it's so hard to get through February here with... Just like without being in a cave, you know? It's kind of like a non-appealing shade of gray. All the time. Do you know what I mean? And a, some on, shades on... of gray are wonderful, but, but there's just some flat non-appealing shades of gray. Yeah. It, it, it's just kind of always that. It's always there. And it, the sun sets so early most of the yes, time. It's dark when you leave. It's dark when you go home. So I think March, like symbolically for both of us, does feel like a season to literally and figuratively defrost and like come back to life after what can be kind of I feel like we're in the north a little bit like beyond the wall when it's January and February here and this feels like the first sign of spring so there's something that happens at least for us you and me but also in this city like in the local community where you see the sun come out and all of a sudden everyone in the city is like their mood is 30 percent better People are most social. They, you know, want to be doing things. And I think that that is such a season of possibility here that when I think about this topic, that's what I like about it. It's not so much cleaning in that like, oh, I, I got to get something new. I have to get this out of here. It's more like that potentiality and excitement of like, oh, I feel like I can do things again. I feel like I want to engage with things as opposed to I need to clean it out. It's like a clearing of the air, if you will, mm -hmm. right? So you're creating space for something new, uh, we talked about the sun setting early. There's more hours in the day now, so the sun sets a bit later. You have a bit more time, it feels like, to uh, play with different things that you're interested in or to create opportunities, I think, for yourself. And when we're moving away from a topic that's so specific towards results, that also opens up the door for more creative expression and feeling in the practice. And I think that's a really wonderful thing to start to wrap your mind around because... Mm -hmm. 
when we're sitting in the, in the pocket of mobility, and we talked about this quite a bit in the last four or five podcasts, you're doing challenging, very technical, specific work to over time reach a desired result that's aesthetic, that's physical, that's felt, but it's a bit less felt in terms of the heart, in terms of your emotional There's self, significantly in terms less of your being. inner work. Yeah, 100%. And that kind of leads you into this space of maybe just being overly technical mm -hmm. in the practice or in your efforts. And while I think there's a lot of fruits to that labor, hence why we focused on it and we focus on it in our own practices, it limits the scope of expression, I feel. I also think it's one of those things that can get... Um I say this, I use this term loosely, but a little bit addicting in that world where you're like working on something that is more goal oriented. It's kind of like you're constantly just taking off the boxes. You're like, what's next? I got to work on this. And you, it becomes almost, it's easy to become overly technical or nitpicky when many times, especially for yoga pressures, generally like things are fine. You just need to practice, right? And this month is much more about that. It's about this inner work, this open-ended world, like more open world exploration where yeah, okay, if we're gonna, if you're in The Sims, you can wander around and do what you want. You could build a house over there in the field. You could also, you know, raise pigs over here in this field, or you could let your Sim just stand in the middle of the city and see what happens. I really thought you were gonna go with Animal Crossing reference. I feel like that was a bit more relevant, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, than Sims? Well, I feel like, to be honest, I, mean, I think there's a real subset of people that still play Sims. I, really, I don't, but I think there's still a real listen, population. I, I, I can't say that I know. I'm really only waiting for the new Zelda game to come out. I haven't played a game since the last Zelda <laughs> yes. game. I'll only play Zelda games. I well, don't know why. It's just that's what that's I enjoy. That's your favorite. It's my favorite. We could we could liken it to the new Harry Potter open world, okay? Like, you can do whatever you want. You can be a bad wizard. You can be a good wizard. You can pet cats all day long if you want and just wander the castle, right? So I think that a month like this is a really nice... Um, respite from the technicality of the month before and that's why the cadence over the year is going to have these where we have a technical month and then we're going to have some spaciousness and some inner work and exploration and then we're going to probably ramp up into another technical thing and give you that ebb and flow of it so that we don't get too stuck into any one pocket of the practice and over time i mean realistically it's all inner work and you're doing asana so it's all outer work like you know the sensations the external around becomes you. the internal yeah and, and then so, the internal becomes external and we want to be able to have it be this permeating thing between the two i like a full month because it's enough time to kind of what is this get into it find out what's there search it out and then before you get too wrapped up and attached to the things you're like okay we're going to shift and you know you can come back to it but it doesn't become this end-all be-all like this month with the classes there is much more traditional-esque vinyasa, kundalini, kriya, breath work, much more, I would call it, you know, almost like a little bit of new age inquiry throughout with the visualizations and a meditation with Jasmine and the much more repetitive kriya and breath work stuff that you and I are doing in classes that might be new for some of you. And for others, it's going to like harken back to maybe the first place that you started practicing yoga. So I think that provides a lot of insight that I want you to have as a reference point that like you can do both, especially here at Commune. You can love mobility and the outer work in that side, and you can also be a deeply profound introspective person and practitioner that like two things can be true at once. Multiple things can be true. As they tend to be, right? And I think mm -hmm. one of the really nice things about this for us in terms of creating the classes is when we're in the space of mobility, um, 
we're in the physical space, right? And just like the way we think about sequencing, if you've been part of our sequencing teacher trainings at the 300 level, we break things down into four buckets. And so one of the first buckets that we work on is obviously physical theming. Mm -hmm. And why do we work on physical theming first? Well, because it's the easiest for you to understand, it's the easiest for your students to understand mm -hmm. because it's what they're doing, yep. right? It is this truly physical practice. That's how you, we all begin it's in the journey. It's usually like the loudest voice in the room. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Like what and you're feeling, it's the, the first thing that if that's not attended to, it's really hard to get to the other stuff. It's why yeah. traditionally you would do an asana practice so that you could settle, settle the physical body enough yeah. to then do meditation, do pranayama. Exactly, and from there now it feels as though especially a lot of classes for me this month are shifting way into this energetic theming. Mm. So a lot of the work moves way towards like the pace and the rhythms and the driving forces. And I know you're playing with a lot of this stuff too, but it's, it's, it gives you this chance to completely flip the script on so many different perspectives of the practice, which then gives you as a teacher, new things to apply new ways to approach teaching, but also as a student, new ways to work through, you know, some of the stuff that's the same. Because mm -hmm. a lot of the yoga practice is the same. Yeah, there's a, there's a massive, uh, you know, repetitious quality, and that's why one of our biggest models is turning repetition into ritual, because it moves away from this I have to do it mindset to kind of like an I get to do it mindset. Mm -hmm. Like this is my ritual. This is something that helps me become whole. This is something that helps me connect to me. And when we can give ourselves that space, then we can really begin to flourish in both sides of the practices we're talking about. So it's not just, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really nailing these sun salutations today, but like there's an element of grace. I'm feeling an, an energetic shift in my body as I approach these sun salutations or whatever it is. And then I can let that energy move through the class and I can really be gauging my practice based on this energy uh, and not gauging in terms of like good or bad, but just, you're constantly checking in with yourself and playing this balance of structure and freedom and also focus and presence that can allow you to immerse deeper when you need to or step back, reassess, and then chart your path forward. Also, when you say, you know, as a teacher, it gives you other ways to frame your practice. And I love that translating as a student because, you know, a teacher's first job, like a not, I'm going to use teacher, like not big T teacher, but yeah. little T that like in a group class, any class you go to, their first job is to simply guide your body through whatever practice you signed up for in a vinyasa world, right? Like that's number one. So it's kind of their main layer too. And for you, it's really easy as a student to only hear the physical stuff because you're like, I gotta do the moves. I gotta keep up, I gotta do the asana, that's the practice. And I think a month like this and some of this you know, undercurrent of energetics, of emotional capacity, also gives you as a student something else to process on the mat rather than only getting caught up in how does it feel in my body you know what's difficult what's my heart rate am i doing a lot am i doing a little we also have to give ourselves permission to observe all the other shit that's going on that can get really crowded out by the loud voice of the physical so the physical is like a gateway into that and we're it's not we're doing very physical practices this month still but you will notice that many of those classes have a different undercurrent that might make something you've done before many times feel very different. How do you measure the feeling of a practice? That's kind of one thing that came up to me as you were talking because it's very easy to measure mobility. Sure, yeah, like it's, literally. It, it's, it's very, very easy, right? Uh, you know, you set yourself up, you do the bit, 
do it enough times mm -hmm. over the course of a few months, a year, a mm -hmm. couple years, whatever, you check back over the course of time, you're measuring the growth of your efforts. Mm -hmm. Very straightforward process. When you're thinking about measuring the feeling of a practice, what comes up for you on that initial thought? I mean, for me, the measurement, I try to think of like the measurement of the feeling practice as a in the container of that practice thing, right? Which is obviously easier said than done. It's hard not to harken back to the practice you did before and to like reference, okay, but yesterday I was in this zone. My head was here. Today I'm really clear-headed. Yesterday I was chaotic. Like it's hard to not put them against each other, but I like to think of it as like in this container, on my mat, in this practice, how am I existing? Like how did I shift from the beginning of practice to the end of practice? And maybe it's not a profound thing. Maybe it's just like, I was restless when I got here and now I am less restless. Or I was f moving my body and I was feeling excited and happy at the beginning of the practice and now the end of the practice, you're like, whew, I'm content and I'm tired. And it doesn't have to be more than that per se, but I like for me to try to keep it in the container of that singular practice as opposed to trying to draw a timeline because I think the practice serves us this really nice pseudo constant and the expectation that there should be any logical um, trajectory across practices, across years, like because this is a lifelong practice, kind of is a wild expectation. Wild. That emotionally I should have some through line that is predictable in my practice. It's like, dude, no. Uh, and I mean, like emotions aren't facts. They aren't like a thing that you can measure in the same way. But if we can sit with a practice and acknowledge how the physical practice impacts the inner landscape, then for me, like, maybe I don't measure it in this super deep thing on my mat, or maybe I do, but I do think that gives you these tools to then off the mat, you're in an, an experience that's intense and you're so much more alert to those sensations if you pay attention to them on your mat. So I guess I think of it less as measuring and more like a tuning fork so that I am attuned to those things. They are an option to even consider in my mind as opposed to if I'm just measuring the physical sensations, then later when you get into whatever happens in your life, you notice those physical flushes. You're like, I'm getting worked up. For me, when I get nervous, I get like blotchy on my chest. <laughs> like, it's always wear like a high neck thing when I know I'm gonna have some sort of meeting or confrontation or whatever it is. But I can feel that flush. So maybe I could pay attention to like, I'm getting hot, I'm getting flushed. But through the lens of yoga, I notice that on the mat. And what I actually know is like, that means I'm nervous. That means I'm anxious. That means I'm, you know, there's something else behind that. And the physical sensation can clue me into the other ones. So that off the mat, you feel that rising. And it's like, maybe you're not mad, you're not this, you're just, getting that flush and that's nerves. It's whatever else you've tracked through the emotional capacity of it. So for you, it's like a harmonizing of yourself. Mm -hmm. I, th I think, I think yeah. that's, that's a lot of what I think about. Um, yeah. I like the tuning fork analogy because one of the things I um, say so often is, you know, you're harmonizing your being mm -hmm. by going through these processes, right? Like you're coming back around, like the more you do it, the more you understand how to harmonize yourself and we're all our own unique instrument and you have to figure out how to tune yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, Somebody else can help you tune your guitar, assuming you're a guitar in this analogy, uh, but you also know how you want to sound. So, you know, adjusting here and there, th those tuning metrics are really based on your own frequency and, and how you want to exist and how you want to navigate space and time. And you can learn about yourself so much along the way. And I think it's 
fun to walk those paths because you're like, oh, wow, I'm being like this today. Like, yeah, and oh, it wow. shows up yeah, on your yeah, mat. Sometimes yeah, it's the only place you notice it. Like, life is busy and there's so much noise around you with work or kids or life or like wherever you live, there's a thousand things. So expecting yourself to be able to emotionally tap in in the midst of that is setting yourself up for failure, I think, if you don't already have the tools. It's really difficult to do in the moment. So you need the quietude of the practice, whether it, you know, it's literally quiet or not, but that headspace to be, to actually be okay and feel safe to go into your head and into your body so that later it becomes part of that ritualistic second nature to then make that inquiry. Because it's so hard learning that kind of skill, the skill of emotional tracking and listening to your body off of the mat is so much harder than on the mat where you're in this container and you can't quiet that other noise. I think it's one of the most wonderful things about having a practice space, whether that's at home, whether that's in mm-hmm. studio, is all of a sudden there's been a parameter, right? Yes. And then the same with the mat. The mat's also a parameter in some way, shape, or form. It is the tool for the practice. Whether you use it or not, we're relatively moving through this rectangular space. Mm-hmm. So there's some confinement there. There's some rules that go along with keeping your body in that zone in some way, shape, or form. I know we tend to embellish upon that quite We've a bit. We've expanded that container <laughs> yeah. just like a little bit, yeah, here but the, still a container. <laughs> yeah, but still a container, roughly a, a structured space at which you move into. And that gives you so much of a freedom to start examining the way that you are existing in this moment. And I think that really helps with how you for lack of a better word, play with time. Uh, Because, you know, time is this unique resource that we all have, and some of us have a lot of free time, and some of us have a little, and some of us have a, you know, time is so interesting to explore, right? But when you're considering how you use time, you're really considering yourself, right? Because we are the sum of our actions, not the sum of our thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you could be having a whirlwind of, things going on in your mind because someone that's just really thought heavy. Mm-hmm. I, I am this way. I was like, someone or who you, it's okay. Continue speaking the first. <laughs> yeah. I am very thought heavy, of course. Uh, but while all this could be going on in my mind, I'm the sum of my actions because that's what I put out into the world. That's what processes through me over the course of my life, right? Like the over doing these practices and, and moving things through, like it's the path of manifestation, right? Like, we have all these things that are in our mind. Maybe you have a lot of things going on. Maybe it's just a few. It's good either way, right? But over time, your actions are those things processing through you and coming out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're sitting in these spaces that are, you know, a bit of structured, goodness, this chapter sentence, a bit structured, you all of a sudden are working with yourself. And that's such a wonderful place to be. Well, and it is the path of manifestation is, I think, a great analogy here for this idea of like needing to move from what is, you know, a much more perhaps like unorganized place, right? This place above you with all the heady thoughts and things like that as it funnels down. As it funnels down, things tend to get more solidified, right? As you move from like, say, like literally through the chakra path, like as you move from the crown chakra all the way down to the root, like you're going to have to funnel down right? And solidify. Because you have to make decisions. And things will drop off along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a really important thing to acknowledge that even in these practices, there might be practices during this month, absolutely, that feel heady, that feel like you are swirling up here and there's a lot. And then your job on the mat is how do I continue to process that through my body? 
Because there is something really magical about movement and the way that it allows you this space to process your thoughts and your emotions in what is generally a safe way, right? And what is a place that you're still in control because you can literally and figuratively move that through your body. Like when I think of spring cleaning for me in this, I get this urge, like we said, when the sun comes out and I feel like I'm defrosting, to just take action. And I think that that's one of the things that's like, okay, I've been swirling all this shit up here for a couple months in the gray, in the rain, wherever it is, or if you're somewhere it's snowy and it's cold, you're housebound. And now it's like, I can finally distill it down and work it through and be like, okay, now as you get down to the root, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take some action. I'm actually gonna put this into the world and make it, um, make it real. And so I think with spring cleaning, it's that same. You're like, you have, you're like, I want to do this. I want to paint my bathroom. I want to reorganize this closet. Are you painting another bathroom? I only have two bathrooms, and I already First. painted one. <laughs> um, but I would like to paint a second. I really want to paint my bedroom, but I just know that, like, I got to move my bed. That's a whole thing. I would like to paint my bedroom. Oh. I love a project. For you though. love a project. I love that, a project. That, that was more I told more you last week, I was like, I want to put these bookshelves yeah. all across this wall. And then yesterday, it was a Sunday, and I thought... It's the beginning of this month. I want to do some projects. I was yeah. like, I'm not going to work. I'm going to do some house things that feel like that. And I stared at that wall and I thought, do I know how to build strong enough shelves that can hold my 4,000 books? And then I thought, no, 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 I don't. I think that was a good I don't. choice. I'm going to have to ask someone See, for help. That was that self-inquiry. And that was that self-inquiry. I looked and I thought, how do I want to spend my day? Do I want to try this and be really frustrated? That could go that way. I've done that before yeah. where you take on an ambitious project and halfway through you're like, not the best use of my day. Uh, but I can feel that urge and it comes to me also on the mat as a practitioner. There are seasons as a practitioner where it's like, I can be in the headier space of the practice. I can sit and meditate and I can be there, but I can't get my body to move. Like I can't get my body to care about the physical practice as much. And then a season like this, it's like something tends to shift for me where all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I want to practice. Yeah. Like every class that I've taught this much so far, not every single one, but most of them, they were intended to be like 45 minutes and I finish them and there's 75 and it's like, I was ready to... You were ready to do the thing. Clear, like, fucking clean the house. Yeah. Like, I'm ready to... Yes, let's sweep. Let's mop. Let's get the corners. Let's dust out the cobwebs. It feels powerful and action-oriented. And I think that's what I really like about this season. So speaking of heady practices and classes you've taught this month, you just dropped one. Mm-hmm. That's quite heady. It's so heady. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. The first class of this month is this um, Hatha-style practice, which is, you know... All of the movement practices, all of the yoga asana we do is technically hatha, but we're going to use that as like the, the general common consciousness term of not flow, right? We're just not doing a bunch of vinyasas and, and, and just to be clear, when we say common consciousness, because we do reference this term a lot, it means what people generally believe something to be or mean in this yes. space. Yes, right? the, the consensus, the even if consensus, it's not consensus, always even if, even accurate. Even if it's not accurate at all. <laughs> It's what people generally, you were going to go to any yoga room in the world, people say triangle pose. It generally means this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. So, so oftentimes at a studio, you'll see a vinyasa or a hatha class, and a hatha class is going to be longer holds, more Iyengari style, I put mm-hmm. in that category, right? So this class is, you know, it's not like there's no down dogs. It's, it's very challenging. It's called hardcore hatha. <laughs> and really, it is this practice of emotional tracking, which is this exact thing of saying, I'm in the practice and I could let myself get wrapped up in the physicality, especially as, you know, teachers, like I know that I talk a lot as a teacher and I tend to give you a lot of cues. And for a portion of my teaching career, as I've, 
you know, grown into myself, I used to say every snippet in the body, and that's because for me, I needed someone to tell me what to do at all moments to get the hell out of my head. Like, I needed that. I was like, the only way I can be present is if you tell me every little tiny thing. And over time, that has softened because I realized that, yes, that, and I need space to process. And if I am just, how is that any different than putting on the loudest music possible, right? And trying to drown out your own thoughts. So this practice is sort of a combination in that we're in postures for a long time. You're quite literally in every posture for two full minutes, which doesn't sound like that long when I say it in this moment. I think it's long. I thought it was long when I was teaching it also, <laughs> and that's the thing. So the first minute of, the, of each posture, the goal is to use the first minute to physically track your body, to inquire, like, what are you feeling? Where's your body going? Use it to just settle yourself into the posture. And the second minute is to strip that layer away, and it's more of a, how am I feeling? What else is happening? So maybe it's simply like, you know, we're in side angle or warrior two, and you're saying, my front leg is really tired. My front leg is really tired. My front leg is really tired. And then as you continue to like go through that mental loop, eventually you might be like, my front leg is tired. I'm really tired today. Like, or you're like, this feels good. I feel so strong. I feel so strong. I'm moving my body. I feel strong. And suddenly it's like, moving my body. I feel strong. Wow. I'm like in a great fucking place mentally. Like, wow, I'm in a good place on my mat. Like the goal is to kind of uncover some of the emotional stuff that actually we associate with a physical sensation but might be something else, right? Like sometimes things are hard and you have to just say like, you know, it's hard because it's physically hard, but maybe it's hard because you're having a sad day or a shitty day or a mad day or, you know, whatever it is. So you can say, I'm moving my body. This is hard today. And then maybe it becomes, I'm moving my body. This is hard today and I'm sad. Like, and that's a real revelation, I think, to be able to move through the physical, I'm moving my body, this is hard, oh, and I'm sad, and those things are linked for me today, and that's okay. Like, that's an acknowledgement that you need to make when you move your body. That's why I think it's such a powerful, like, therapeutic practice, is to just go through that process. And you're not trying to, like, it's not meant to be target practice, you're not, like, trying to uncover, like, in this pose, I'm looking for the trauma in minute two. It's just to say what's there, because there's always some other stuff there, even if it's very tiny. I also think it's an awesome practice to gauge mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, not only your mindset for stillness, but also your mindset for unique challenges. Uh, the, this NBA player, he uh, tweeted something that was pretty funny. I would say his name's Josh Hart, but I just didn't think anyone would know who that is <laughs> that listens to this. But he tweeted this thing that was like, I can crush any NBA conditioning drill, but uh, three flights of stairs will always get me. You, you, yes, in that moment. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think, that, I think that's a really interesting and funny thing because this is someone in peak physical condition, mm -hmm. right? And yet, no matter what, stairs are just like, oh. And it's because you have to wrap your mind, mind around the activity because, again, if you're going uphill, you know, you're going uphill. And we don't always want to be going uphill because, you know, you want to live flat sometimes. You also want to benefit. Be on the roll sometimes. Be on the roll sometimes. Slide downhill, enjoy that ride. Um, but you have to wrap your mind about around what you're requesting of yourself. And once you wrap your mind around it, you can get your body involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but if you're just out for a casual walk and then you see like 200 stairs, it's just like, fuck fam. Mm -hmm. like that's, that's, that's a journey. I'm going to all of a sudden have to be, have to click myself in. Yeah. It's something that I always laugh about, like with hiking, the first few steps of going uphill hiking, you're just like, ugh. And then, Why did I make this choice today? Yeah, yeah. And then you get into it and then it's no big deal. And I think this practice is very similar to that and means that, you know, you're holding poses. Okay. 
And the first few, you're like, all right, we're holding poses. Yeah, and it's like there's not that many surprises. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like we're doing the thing. We're just going to keep doing, doing the, the, the thing. thing. Yeah. And so th- there's that moment of, okay, and there's a moment of maybe you're going in, maybe you're getting mm-hmm. into it. Maybe you're trying to backpedal your way out of it. Mm-hmm. But then if you stick with it, you're going to move through it. And yes. I, I love a process. I talk about processes all the time. But to go through something and to move through something is a reference point. It's a piece of experience and it gives you such a unique perspective because it's something that you weren't, whether you were intending to do it or not, it's something that you did actually do. Mm-hmm. Well, and realistically, there's that thing just like hiking where you're like, why did I do this today? Exactly. Like, or, you know, why am I taking the stairs? I, you're making a choice. And throughout a practice, any challenging practice, but especially one that for many of you at Commune, I know you all love vinyasa. And we love vinyasa too, but I do think there is something really critical in the longevity of your yoga practice and your career on the mat, however you want to think of it, in doing things explicitly that include discomfort. And even if you love vinyasa and you do hard vinyasa, whatever that is for you, like, yes, there's discomfort in that, but also there's discomfort in novelty and making a choice that you wouldn't otherwise, and then saying, hmm. Like if you do a practice that is, you know, whether it's continuous flow and you're like, I need to just stop for one second. Like maybe this isn't the class for me. I'm just going to bail on this. Well, it's also important to say, why isn't this working for me? Right. And in this class, for my example, if you get into it and you're like, Carling, I don't want to do this all for two minutes. That's okay. But I think the bigger question in this month is that deeper. Why? What is it about the physical ask here and the level of discomfort? Because the level of discomfort is never intended to be like a no pain, no gain thing. Discomfort is simply finding that edge, like the opposite of contentment, a discontent, so that you have a frame of reference to say, okay, this makes me discontent. This swirls up some shit for me and I want to bail. And it's okay to listen to your body and bail for all these reasons. But I think the inquiry, even when you do bail on stuff or you make a different decision, you're like, I'll just take the elevator today. The question is, what made you make that decision? Why? Was the impetus truly, I just don't want to do this kind of practice? Was it, I just don't want to take the stairs? Or is it like, I'm fucking uncomfortable sitting in the pocket? Like, if I'm sitting in the pocket here and I don't want to think about I'm moving my body, I'm tired, I'm sad. I get that. Like, we want to drown it out, but that's not what this whole practice is, right? So I think it's important to also value just exploring discomfort because life is uncomfortable all the time. And if your mat is always, it should be your safe place, your comfort zone, your little safety blanket kind of, but that doesn't mean it's always exactly tailored to what you want all the time without that extra stimulus. Because how are you gonna grow and pay attention if it's always just exactly what you want? Like that's not actually a place to build resiliency and you know, do the inner work. Oh, I completely agree. I think that if there's something you're avoiding, <clears throat> there's a reason. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those reasons are 110% valid. Sometimes there's great reasons to avoid yeah. stuff. Yeah. This is not that, what's that yeah. quote that says the pose begins the minute you want to leave it? Yeah. I think that's probably a relevant quote for this class, but that's not the goal, right? Yeah. You can uh, want to, you can, they all count. Yeah. It, yeah. All, it begins every time. Totally. But that's a very important point. But if you are avoiding something that is in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. you know, or there's some household chore, right, that you have that, like, no matter what, like, it's a struggle. What's yours right now? I mean, I, I think I know it, but I'd love to hear your... Uh, hanging up jackets. 
Is that true? <laughs> my guess was socks. <laughs> like the minute so, you so, walk in any room, sock one sock comes off with the other foot, and then they wherever they landed, they could be there for a year if someone else didn't pick them up. And our daughter is the same way. She takes her shit off and they're just a trail. Jacket, socks, shoes. At least you know and then on she, to the next. At least you know where she is. Yeah, true. You could always find her the trail. You could always follow the trail. Okay, sorry, uh, go on. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, totally, totally jackets, right? Like just hanging them up. Like I just set them on a chair. And then all of a sudden there's five on a chair. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is what it is. And then I'm like, oh, I should just go do that. And solving that problem, two minutes. Literally one two. Yeah, the thing two. you avoided that you're like two minutes. You kind of need that little feedback of like I just did it. Dude. It was easy. I'm, I'm getting way and better. And I was happier after just doing it. Yeah, I've I've gotten way better recently to be honest with you, just because of just keeping that mindset more of like do these things. Yeah. Like life is better if you do these things. It's the and two minute rule or one, like oh whatever. If a task takes is going to take you less than one minute or two minutes, mm-hmm. then you should just do it right then. Yeah. Rather than. You know, I'm sure it's shorter than that, but you get to catch the drift. Hey, nature of. Um, for my first class this month, you are playing a lot with pace. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go really fast, and then we're going to go really slow. And then we're going to find some middle ground, and then we're going to go really fast and really slow and find that middle ground. So it's a lot of rhythm work. And mm-hmm. I think this stuff is really, really important, just as your practice of stillness is important to set the tone for the rest of the month. Because when you're playing with pace you're understanding the speeds you like to go. Like Carling drives very well at 55 miles an hour. You know, it's a slower pace. It's a slower pace. You do, fam. You do. It's a slower pace. I like a 62. Oh my gosh. A like 65? That's, like that's better. Like a 62, 65? <laughs> it's not like I'm doing it in the left-hand lane. I know my role. I pick my spots. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. Either way, I'd about to say, I didn't say you were a bad driver. I just said the pace at which you like to drive is slower. It's a little cruisy. So, yeah, so exactly, right? But we all have paces that we like to move through. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have rhythms that we're like, I'm really vibing at this rhythm. And it's hard to know which rhythm you're really is, is the one for you unless you step forward and step backwards, right? So you're like, oh, hey, I can, I, and if you have these other spaces that are less comfortable, finding the ability to be comfortable there for a period of time is incredibly beneficial for your uh, mental, spiritual, and physical being. And the ability, the, the skill, really, of regulating your breath. Exactly. And the tonality of your, like, inner and outer landscape is important. Because in those moments when the pace picks up, and you kind of feel like, I can't keep up, it gets frantic, it gets like up here. And, you're, and if that's the place of discomfort, then you start to realize, how do I react? Do I shortcut everything? Do I cuss Patrick out in my head? Do I just skip this? Do I make an excuse, go get a water break? Like, what's my tactic? And then when things go the other way, because in a class like yours where you have both polarities in the same class, I think it's a great reference point because then when you get to the other one, are you thinking, oh, I'm so happy we're slowing down or, oh, I'm so happy we're speeding up. And maybe it's not any deeper than in the moment I just, you know, enjoy one more or the other. Or maybe it's like, okay, that's literally your comfort zone. And just, you know, what's the practice like when it's not your comfort zone? What's the practice like when you do some excavating? Because I think of spring cleaning as like truly a month of deeply rooted action. Like you, if you're going to clean your house, it's hard work. 
It's not easy to clean your You're going to find some stuff. You're going to find some stuff. You're going to be on a roll and then you open up a box in the basement and you're like, well, what's this? All these photos, you're going to get derailed. You're going to start sorting stuff out, you know, jumping from one closet to the other. Or you're going to get in there and be like, this is, I don't want to do this. It's dusty down here. It's muck. Like, but that's the thing is that it's hard work and it feels so satisfying and so impactful to take action. But the action part is hard. And I think that that's why in you know, the world of Commune Online, I think that's what our hope is, is to be that impetus for you all, to help provide you the parameters for action so that even if it's just taking action on your mat, maybe that shows up elsewhere in your life where you're like, yeah, okay, that was hard and I did it. Like I was feeling X, Y, and Z and throughout this practice, all of a sudden, like, yeah, action helped. Like doing something, breathing some way, moderating and being able to handle yourself in those moments shows up when everything else feels a little bit challenging to get it going, then you can come back to that mode of like action and excavation. Like if cleaning your house was easy, you know, like we would all have spotless houses, but it's hard. Work with what you have, do what you can. It's hard, it's messy work sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> work with what you have, do what you can. All right, everybody, wonderful chat. Thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to sharing this month of practice with you and chatting with you again very soon. Have an amazing rest of your day. Peace.